briefly, shrugs, and moves on. They are ready now to play dead for a while. I, human, have not yet as devised how to obtain such privilege. Their spring will find them rested. I and my kind battle a wakeful way to ours. You can find these words titled Winter Meditation by Denise Levertov in the back of your gray hymnal singing the living tradition. This has long been one of my favorite poems, very contemplative, I think. I think that one of the biggest reasons that this poem speaks so loudly to me and resonates with my soul as it does is because I've spent decades watching humans in this country. Humans who live in Omaha, Nebraska. Humans who live in New London, Connecticut. Humans who live in Avoca, Iowa. And now, humans who live in Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. And do you know that they all have one major thing in common? They forgot how to be human beings. If you're a people watcher, what can you observe most about people? People are constantly moving, constantly doing. We define ourselves by it. Over the last 30 years, we have really knuckled down on what it means to be a productive member of society. If you've ever worked with an elementary school child, you would see a huge difference between what is expected of them today and what was expected of most of us back when we were in elementary school. My youngest child is eight. She's in the third grade. I've experienced this firsthand. And in addition to the work that they're responsible for, are there extracurricular activities like sports and garden club and choir and band the dance and community theater and science club and art and boy and girl scout and the list goes on. Children were expected to be in school and ready to learn at 7.50 a.m. And they were in school until 2.30 in the afternoon with an hour of homework, two to three activities after school and on the weekend. That's just the kids. Let's talk for a moment about how the grown-ups' lives look with all of this. I'm up at 6 a.m. getting ready for my day. I fit in 15 to 20 minutes of meditation with a friend, and then I hit the ground running. Kids to school work hard until 2 p.m. because there's no way you can fit in a full eight-hour workday with school the way that it is. I pick up my daughter, I head home for a snack, and then by 3.30, we're out the door for drama and hockey practice. And then I have to pick up three different kids at three different locations, on Tuesdays, the older kids have counseling. On Fridays, the younger one does. And dinner, you mean they wanna eat? I'm just exhausted telling you about it. And I'm not even a really busy mom. My kids have friends who do way more than they do. And that's because I insist that they sleep for a certain amount of time every night. Uh, I like to sleep too, about eight hours. And I actually get a lot of flack from a lot of parents about that. And two years ago, I attended a picnic with my children at the home of one of my son's classmates at their robotics club. The lady of the house was a pediatrician and her husband was an accountant. Several other parents that were there also held highly paid jobs that required lots of higher education. And their conversation mostly consisted 
of how their days were filled and that they barely had time to spend time with their kids, much less sit down for dinner most days. They talked about their kids' grades. It was a high school club, so they talked about their kids' transcripts and resumes. They talked about all the things they used to fill their kids' schedules. And the only thing that I could think of is when did they have time to enjoy anything? This was the life that we were used to. And we live in a fairly small town that is a suburb of St. Paul. If this was life where we were living, I can only imagine the lives of people living in bigger cities like Chicago or Los Angeles or New York. Then COVID-19 hit. In the blink of an eye, our schools were shut down. Local small businesses, bars, restaurants, salons, movie theaters, all of them shut down. People were urged to stay home. Overnight, our entire culture changed. Experts say that when we move from one place to another, especially if it is a big move, we can suffer from what they call culture shock. The dictionary definition of culture shock is the feeling of disorientation experienced by someone who is suddenly subjected to an unfamiliar culture, way of life, or set of attitudes. Does this sound familiar? Was this year actually disorienting for anybody? The powers that be in our country have set rules in place that asked for our sudden compliance to a way of life we are completely unfamiliar with. And they didn't hand out coping skills or support group information to teach us how to get through all of this. We have spent decades learning how to be human doings, counting our worth by how busy we are, that we forgot how to be human beings. And at the drop of a hat, we're expected to adapt. The good news is a lot of us are able to adapt, but I do know a lot of us who haven't adapted so well. We went through a period of time that seemed to last forever. April was the longest month ever in history, I am sure of it. The first wave rolled down and we transitioned into summer. The sun shone brightly. We frolicked and gathered in small groups and outside. Suddenly, we had time for things that we hadn't had before, like outside barbecues or family movie nights. And while life was still far from what we considered normal, we were able to find joy for a while. Then the second wave began. What is normal now? People wearing masks, shops, restaurants, schools closed down again, distance learning, everyone holding business meetings and family get togethers via Zoom. Even our spiritual communities look very different. So what is normal now is still so very far away from what we believed normal to be. Now, the weather is changing and we can't even gather outside. State and local governments all over the country are urging us to celebrate holidays at home with immediate family members only. And here we find ourselves entering a season of darkness in more ways than one. 
For centuries, people around the globe built their lives around the seasons. One of the main reasons for this was food. If they could only grow food during certain times of the year, they had to plan accordingly so they would be alive to plant and grow again next year. In those times, as winter is a season of darkness, it was also a season of rest. Sure, there's still work to be done, children to raise, livestock to care for, household chores, all those things, but not tending to the garden outside freed up some time. And spiritual people of those times speak about using that free time to tend to the garden inside, our hearts, minds, and spirits. While I think they would marvel at our modern technology and the cool things that we have, I also think they would question our choices over the years in trying to be so busy and do so much. I wonder if we can find a balance in that. In my observations over the years, I have seen many reasons for people to remain as busy as they did. I wonder how many people are really aware of all of the reasons we busy ourselves. Let's dig a little deeper for a moment. Let's shine a light on an often look, overlooked epidemic in our country, depression and mental illness. How many people do you suppose busy themselves to avoid spending time with themselves or being alone with their own thoughts? In reading up on darkness, I came across an old discussion board from several years ago and someone had said that people aren't afraid of the dark, they're afraid of the unknown. If that's true, how many people do you suppose busy themselves to stay in familiar routine? And now that we have thrown that entire culture out the window, how many suffer in the darkness? Without education, without adequate leadership, without proper support, all we've done is traded one ailment for another. So I wonder how many people know that there can be power in the darkness. Author, educator, and dream therapist Zevia Gover says, darkness comes to help us see what our eyes cannot. I would offer that that is what Denise Leverton is talking about too when she says, nature is ready to play dead for a time. I would offer that there are answers and salves for open wounds in this poem. It starts with the preparation. They don't just go blindly into the dark. They prepare their seed packs. Trees let go of their leaves because leaves take energy to maintain. They are busy work. When they let go of the leaves, they can focus on their center, on their trunk and core. They can make the most of the darkness. She says their spring will find them rested because in that dark, still place, they know there is power, there is peace. The normal hustle and bustle of the holidays isn't present this year. We're not preparing to fill our homes with people and food and stuff. We're sitting quietly, watching the sun go down at 4.30 in the the afternoon wondering if we'll get all the lights on in time. 
wondering what we can do to fill the darkness so it doesn't feel like uncertainty. I would invite you to take a lesson from the tree. I would invite you to rest in the traditions of our ancestors. As this season of darkness is upon us, embrace it. Invite the stillness of that darkness into your life. Allow the darkness to remind you to take time out every day for reflection and appreciation. 2020 has been called the great pause. It looks like life as we know it will experience that pause even through the dark months of winter, which is nature's annual pause. I would invite you to use this time to put networks in place that can help you when you feel especially down on dark days. Reach out to friends and family, asking if it would be okay to put their name on a list of people that you can call when you are feeling disconnected and uncertain. Offer to be on their list as well. Oftentimes, actually hearing someone's voice can be very helpful when we need connection and can't opt for a hug or other in-person experience. I would invite you to reassess your home and your stuff. Clear out clutter and that which doesn't serve you anymore. I would also invite you to do this with your heart and mind and spirit. What beliefs or practices do you cling to that just don't serve you anymore? Allow the darkness to show you the things you may not otherwise see and let go, surrender and be still. I would invite you to introduce new practices into your days, shore up your routines and maintain them even when it might seem pointless. The familiarity of routine lifts the spirit. Then add a meditation practice or start a gratitude journal. Start something that allows you to sit in the still darkness every day and see with different eyes. Remember to be gentle with yourselves and others. Find ways to bring light into your days. This could be reaching out to someone asking how they are on a day when you're feeling especially down. This could be asking a neighbor if you're, you could pick something up for them because you need to go to the grocery store anyway. This could be a simple Facebook message that says, I'm thinking of you. Remember that the smallest acts of love create the brightest lights. And when you find some joy in the day, take a moment to notice it. Savor it, revel in it, take care of yourself. The seasons will come and go, no matter how prepared or not we are. And we can spend our energy struggling and resisting, or we can surrender to the darkness and the stillness that is our lives right now. We can take time in silence to really listen to our inner selves, that divine spark that dwells within all of us, we can hold space for the uncertainty because that will come and go as sure as the seasons will. But if we are like the tree, taking time out to focus on our core and allowing ourselves to find power in the darkness, we will be ready when the spring comes.
the rising sun will find us rested and peaceful. Amen. And blessed be.